This episode features discussions of suicide, murder, and rape. Discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Imagine you're watching surveillance footage from a hotel elevator. It's dated January 31st, 2013. You see the doors slowly slide open. In steps a young woman wearing a red hoodie and flowing black shorts. She crouches down and hits the button to every floor. Then, she anxiously sticks her head into the hallway and peers in both directions. Suddenly, she jumps back into the elevator, pressing her body against the wall. It's as if she's hiding from someone or something. The woman waits there for a few moments. Meanwhile, no one else enters the lift, and the doors never close. Then, without warning, she leaps back into the hallway like she's expecting to catch someone. And here's where things get really bizarre. She turns to her right and bends over. She's moving her hands like she's trying to feel around for something in the air or possibly communicating with something unseen. Then, she stops gesturing, casually turns to her left, and walks out of the frame. The clip ends, and the screen goes black. This video was the last time anyone saw 21-year-old Elisa Lamb alive. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from ParCast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is our one-part episode on the mysterious death of Elisa Lamb. In January 2013, the 21-year-old college student went missing during her vacation at the Stay on Main Hotel in downtown Los Angeles. Nearly three weeks later, an employee found her body inside the building's water tank. Elisa's death has since become an obsession for internet sleuths and conspiracy theorists. Some believe Elisa has ties to a company that tested invisibility technologies. Others say she played a Korean elevator game that transported her to another dimension. And many felt her death was connected to a mysterious tuberculosis outbreak that struck Los Angeles days after her disappearance. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. 
With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Collector's Closet, presented by the Ohio Lottery. Let's discuss my newest prize possession, this new $10 scratch-off, the $500,000 Platinum Jackpot. The best method I've found so far to help it hold its value is to vacuum seal it. This thing cannot get scratched. What's that? Sorry, my producer's telling me the only way it could be worth up to 500 grand is if I do scratch it? Okay, well, in that case, definitely don't overprotect your $500,000 Platinum Jackpot scratch-offs. Play them. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. It was a sunny 66 degrees when Elisa Lamb arrived in Los Angeles on January 26, 2013. It felt vastly different from the frigid winters back home in Vancouver, Canada. Elisa was a student at the University of British Columbia. She had decided to spend her winter break traveling up the coast of California by train. This trip was a big opportunity for Elisa. She was fascinated by the film and fashion industries, so what better place to experience both than Los Angeles? Over the past year, she'd gained some traction on her blog, a site where she discussed her favorite style and beauty trends. But Elisa also opened up to her followers about her personal life. Elisa's parents were a recent theme in her blog. They had immigrated from Hong Kong years prior and were particularly worried about their daughter traveling through America alone. But Elisa had promised to call them every day to check in. Operating on a student's budget, Elisa booked a cheap hotel in downtown Los Angeles, about a 20-minute walk from Union Station. It was called the Stay on Main, but it used to go by a more infamous title, the Cecil Hotel. When hotelier William Banks Hanner built the Cecil in 1924, he installed its marble lobby, stained glass windows, and Parisian architecture. Hanner hoped these ornate features would attract socialites and businessmen. Five years later, the Great Depression hit, and over the following decades, the property fell victim to the economic disaster. While glamorous visitors continued to stay at the Cecil in the 1930s and 40s, by the time World War II had passed, most guests were transients or low-income citizens of the city. The neighborhood surrounding the hotel gradually became known as Skid Row. Its streets hosted thousands of homeless citizens. Skid Row grew to be the epicenter of criminal and drug activity in Los Angeles, and the Cecil Hotel was at the heart of it. Countless sexual assault cases, several murders, and over a dozen suicides have happened behind its doors. Elizabeth Short, more famously dubbed the Black Dahlia, was rumored to have had a drink at the hotel the night of her murder in January 1947. Whether or not she actually stepped foot into the Cecil, her body was found only blocks away. In 1962, a guest named Pauline Oten dove from the ninth-story window, landing on a passerby. Both people died. 
In the 1980s, serial killer Richard Ramirez, better known as the Night Stalker, lived at the hotel during one of his murder sprees and returned there each night after committing his crimes. It's unclear whether Elisa knew about the property's history, but the neighborhood didn't sound any alarms for her. On January 28th, her third day in Los Angeles, she checked into the hostel-styled shared room at the newly rebranded Stay on Main Hotel. On January 26th, Elisa updated her blog. She seemed excited about going to a speakeasy, a discreet cocktail lounge where she planned to catch some live jazz. Her next update shared some concerning news. She said she'd lost a cell phone that evening, keyword being A. She wrote that the phone wasn't hers, but had been borrowed from a friend. It's not entirely clear if Elisa had another device on hand or needed to borrow this one because her own phone was broken. She had a laptop with her to update her blog, but complained about the bad Wi-Fi in the hotel. On January 31st, Elisa was switched from a shared dormitory to a private room. According to the hotel management, Elisa's roommates had filed complaints about her odd behavior. Just what this behavior was is unclear. Even so, Elisa's trip appeared otherwise uneventful until January 31st, which was supposed to be her final day in Los Angeles. She was due to check out the next morning. On the 31st, she visited a bookstore close to the hotel. The shop's manager said she spoke to Elisa, who seemed to be in good spirits. Elisa told her that she was buying gifts for her family. She was also looking for a book that wouldn't be too heavy to carry on her journey. According to the police, the bookseller was one of the last people Elisa had contact with. When Elisa's parents didn't hear from her that evening, they called the Los Angeles Police Department in a panic. Elisa had been checking in daily. A missing person report was officially filed on February 4th, and then the LAPD took action. They arrived at the Stay on Main to question the staff and guests. They even had dogs sniff the premises for Elisa's scent. They checked the lobby, the hallways, fire escapes, even the roof, but no Elisa. Oddly enough, Elisa's blog continued to update with new posts for days after her disappearance, probably through an automated system. This gave many hope that she was still alive. The media picked up on the missing person case and reported Elisa's story, plastering her photo across the internet but no one could offer any leads until the elevator footage surfaced two weeks later. Elisa's bizarre behavior in that video not only complicated the investigation, it propelled her case into internet infamy. After detectives released the footage on February 13th in hopes of getting tips about the case, it spread across YouTube. Someone uploaded the tape to a Chinese video-sharing site, and it received three million views in a matter of days. As the clip went viral, the public formed their own theories about what had happened to 21-year-old Elisa Lam. Some wondered if she had been on hallucinogens. Others felt confident she was being hunted by someone. 
A few rationalists said she was just frustrated with the malfunctioning elevator. They pointed out that the elevator doors did not close the entire time she was inside. Yet none of these theories prepared the public for what came next. A few days after the footage was released, guests at the Stay on Main began calling the front desk with complaints. Visitors said that the water pressure in their rooms was extremely low. Others said the liquid coming out of the faucets was black. A few even complained that it had an unusual smell and taste. In the early morning of February 19th, a maintenance worker named Santiago Lopez went up to the roof to inspect the 1,000-gallon tank. There were four tanks on the roof that provided water for all of the guest rooms. As Lopez got closer, he noticed the lid to the tank was open. And when he peered inside, he saw the naked, decomposing body of Elisa Lamb floating in the water. The discovery of Elisa's body caused a stir of questions. There were only two ways she could have gotten onto the roof. By climbing one of the fire escapes, or through a locked door that would have triggered a security alert. But employees said no one had tripped any alarms. And if there is footage of Elisa walking through the hallway towards the fire escape, authorities haven't released it to the public. The same clothes Elisa was wearing in the elevator floated next to her in the water. But police weren't sure if she'd taken them off herself or if someone threw the clothes in after her. Ultimately, police had three theories. Either Elisa died by suicide, she fell into the tank by mistake, or someone murdered her. They hoped the autopsy would put the case to rest but it only made things more complicated. The coroner's report claimed that Elisa had no illicit drugs or alcohol in her system, which ruled out an internet theory that hallucinogens or intoxication caused her to fall in the tank. The police ruled out suicide as a cause of death because of a lack of evidence, and internet sleuths agreed. If Elisa did want to take her own life, it's unlikely she'd choose to dive into a water tank. With this information, the L.A. County coroner ruled Elisa's death an accidental drowning. The LAPD suspected that sometime around midnight on February 1st, Elisa got onto the roof alone. She took off her clothes, climbed into the tank, and drowned. As far as they were concerned, the case was closed. But for the millions following the investigation, it was hard to accept that Elisa did this on her own. If her death was an accident, she still had to go to a lot of effort just to get into the tank. A hotel employee named Pedro Tovar mentioned how difficult it would have been for Elisa to access the tower, even if she did manage to get on the roof. She'd have to climb up a ladder up to the tank platform, squeeze through plumbing equipment, go up another ladder, then climb the 10-foot-tall tank. Finally, there was the opening of the basin. Elisa would have to remove the heavy metal lid and jump inside, knowing there was no way to get back out. It would be challenging for Elisa Lamb to do all these things accidentally which was why many felt she was the victim of someone 
or something unknown. And given the strange elevator footage, many wondered if supernatural forces caused her demise. Perhaps something was hunting Elisa. Something from another dimension. Coming up, we'll investigate whether Elisa played an occult game that went horribly wrong. Listeners, here's a show sure to tug at your heartstrings. When it comes to love, every story is unique. Some play out like fairy tales, and some don't. In Our Love Story, the new Spotify original from Parcast, you'll discover the many pathways to love as told by the actual couples who found them. Every Tuesday, Our Love Story celebrates the ups, downs, and pivotal moments that turn complete strangers into perfect pairs. Each episode offers an intimate glimpse inside a real-life romance, with couples recounting the highlights and hardships that define their love. Whether it's a chance encounter, a former friendship, or even a former enemy, our love story proves that love can begin and blossom in the most unexpected ways. Follow Our Love Story free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, back to the story. In January 2013, 21-year-old Elisa Lamb checked into the Stay On Main Hotel in downtown Los Angeles. After she had explored the city for a few days, the hotel's cameras recorded Elisa acting strangely. Then, Elisa disappeared. And on February 19th, an employee discovered her body floating inside the building's water tank. The coroner ruled Elisa's death an accidental drowning, which should have closed the investigation. But thanks to the viral elevator footage, the public insisted there was more to the story. Thousands of internet sleuths examined the details of Elisa's behavior in the video. Some of them proposed a bizarre theory to explain what they saw. Elisa was playing the Korean elevator game, an urban legend designed to transport her to another dimension. No one is exactly sure where the elevator game came from. It seems to have first appeared on a Korean website back in 2010. But beyond that, its origins remain a mystery. The game is a ritualistic practice meant to open up a gateway. Ever turn off the lights and repeat Bloody Mary three times in the bathroom mirror? This isn't so different, but it does have a few additional requirements. An elevator and a building at least 10 stories tall. So if the elevator game intrigues you and you want to play, listen closely to these instructions. Enter the lift. You must do this alone. If anyone tries to ride with you, wait for the next car. Press the button to the fourth floor. When the door is open, do not get out. Instead, send the elevator to the second level. When you get there, go to the sixth, then head back to the second. Again, stay in the car. This time, hit the button for the 10th floor. At this stage of the journey, be wary. 
Many have reported a disembodied voice calling to them once they reach this point in the game, but you mustn't reply. Now head to the fifth level and prepare for things to get spooky. Many have reported that on the fifth floor, a woman will enter the elevator with you. If and when she boards the lift, do not acknowledge her. She may appear as a stranger or someone that you know. She will try to speak to you, but if you so much as look at her, she may follow you home. After the woman joins you, press the button for the first floor. If you're doing it correctly, the elevator will disobey and bring you to the 10th level instead. That's when the doors will open to another dimension. Your cell phone or any electronics will not work. It's dark, cold, empty. You'll see a glowing red cross off in the distance, indicating you have arrived on another plane. If you see anything else besides the cross, do not leave the elevator. Some participants say that the air is thick there, making it hard to breathe. Others claim they've passed out and woken up at home, or what seems like home, only to find they're back on the 10th floor. If you want to leave, you must return to the same elevator you arrived in. Otherwise, you may be trapped in this dimension forever. One anonymous elevator game player submitted their experiences to Thought Catalog in 2016. According to their account, if you don't follow the rules exactly, the ritual can cross over into real life. The source claimed they played the game in an unfamiliar building in downtown Atlanta, Georgia. After following each of the steps, a woman did get on the elevator on the fifth floor. The woman was petite, with blonde hair, green eyes, and freckles. The fact that the witness could report these details meant they got a good look at the woman. Their first mistake. The player hit the button for the first floor, hoping to ascend to the tenth. That's when the woman mentioned she'd just seen an accident. She said she needed the player's help, and they had to go back to the fifth floor. The anonymous source ignored the woman until she became aggressive. The woman started screaming at the player, cursing and trying to get their attention. When that didn't work, she stopped and began weeping. The player reported feeling a sense of hate for the strange woman. Their rage mounted until finally they attacked her. Suddenly, the doors opened in the lobby. The woman stepped off with a snide grin and blocked the player's exit. Then, the doors closed and sent the player up to the 10th floor to cross over into the alternate dimension. When the player finally left the building, they felt disoriented and panicked, unsure of what they'd just witnessed. This sensation continued for days. The witness claimed to see the woman in their dreams even outside their apartment in waking life. When they published their account on Thought Catalog, they claimed they still had not escaped the woman's presence. This witness was not alone in their experience. Several participants claimed in online forums 
that after playing the game, they heard disturbing sounds and saw terrifying hallucinations. One person said they were followed home by the elevator woman. They were so scared they even purchased a gun for protection. So, is this what Eliza was doing before she died? Maybe she became disoriented and scared while playing the Korean elevator game. It was thought that the video of Elisa was taken on the fifth floor where her room was, though other sleuths say the footage came from the 14th floor. Perhaps the person she's gesturing to in the video is the strange woman no one else could see, the one you're not supposed to acknowledge. Maybe she spoke with the invisible woman before completing her journey to the 10th floor. In the footage, Eliza hits buttons for multiple floors. It's possible she had second thoughts about entering that alternate dimension and was just trying to end the game. Perhaps this is why the elevator doors never closed while Elisa was inside. She was still in the midst of a supernatural journey. If Elisa felt disoriented from her trip, that could have led to her erratic behavior, culminating with a dive into the hotel's water tank. While some people believe this was the case, there are a few problems with this theory. For starters, Elisa Lam spoke English and Cantonese, not Korean. Before her death, the instructions for this game were only written in Korean, making it less likely that Elisa could have figured out how to play. Elisa might have heard about it from a friend, but the game wasn't even popular in America and Canada until after her death. While the elevator game would explain Elisa's bizarre behavior, it's unlikely she actually crossed over into another dimension, or that a mysterious woman was chasing her. But if Elisa wasn't playing the elevator game, it doesn't mean someone wasn't pursuing her. Some say another unseen assailant may have followed her. On January 12, 2013, just two and a half weeks before her death, Elisa posted a tweet that later sent conspiracy theorists down a rabbit hole. It read, Canadian company invents invisibility cloak and linked to a 2012 Huffington Post article. The piece mentioned how the United States military had reportedly offered financial backing to a company called Hyperstealth Biotechnology. The business had developed what they called quantum stealth camouflage. This was a thin, flexible material that bends light around an object or person, giving them the illusion of invisibility. On the company's website, Hyperstealth CEO Guy Kramer wrote, The psychological effect on the enemy is devastating. They never know when or even if this invisible army has them targeted or surrounded. How can you hit a target you cannot see? How do you defend from the invisible? Elisa posted this article just weeks before the elevator footage showed her apparently interacting with someone invisible. With this connection in mind, theorists posited a new explanation for Elisa's death. Elisa knew something about invisibility technology, and on January 31st, an unseen assassin killed her to keep her from talking. Coming up, 
Elisa might have stumbled onto secret government technologies. Now back to the story. In 2013, the death of Elisa Lam became a viral mystery that fascinated internet sleuths. The coroner reported that the 21-year-old had died from an accidental drowning, but many felt there had to be more to her story. Some wondered if she was playing a Korean elevator game that transported her to another dimension. But others believed that instead, an invisible agent was stalking her. Their goal? To keep Elisa from telling what she knew. One virtual sleuth found a business on Google Maps linked to the hotel's address. It was called the Invisible Light Agency. It's near impossible to find information on the company today. But a 2011 article from the CG Channel listed it as a visual effects company that handled 3D technologies. It's not that odd for an up-and-coming entertainment business to register their address to a Los Angeles hotel. Perhaps they were using the property as an office. What is strange is that, according to conspiracists, one of the company's creators eventually left to work as a supervisor for Raytheon Missile Systems, a major U.S. defense contractor that develops high-concept weaponry. According to a 2009 CBS News article, Raytheon researched and funded invisibility technologies alongside Duke University, the U.S. Air Force, and the National Science Foundation of China. So it's possible that the Invisible Light Agency experimented with more than visual effects at the time of Elisa Lam's stay. Some internet sleuths believe that the company may have been a government front that was actually testing cloaking technologies in downtown Los Angeles, and Elisa Lam may have been a witness to it that day in the hotel. The evidence proving this theory may even appear on the elevator footage. Those who've analyzed the tapes say that they can see a fuzzy shadow moving inside the elevator, perhaps the cloaked assailant itself. This may explain why the lift's doors never closed. Maybe something had been blocking the sensors. It could also explain who Elisa gestured at in the video, even though it looked like no one was there. One of the most compelling pieces of evidence for this theory is a timestamp on the elevator footage. After close scrutiny, theorists say that someone subtly edited the clip. One internet sleuth named Cody Fry proved it. In March 2013, Fry uploaded a different version of the video and paired it side by side with the official police tape. In Fry's version, the footage is slightly sped up, which makes Elisa's strange movements look much more normal. Fry did this to demonstrate his theory that someone had removed over a minute of footage from the police tape. Cody didn't say what might have been on the other recording, but through comparison, he realized the police tape had slowed down sections to compensate for that missing minute of time. Even the timestamp appears encrypted, as if written in some sort of alien language. Someone clearly went to a lot of effort to make these edits. But who? 
and why? Perhaps the police were told to manipulate the footage before releasing it to the public. If Elisa's death was part of a top-secret technology cover-up, the government might have ordered them to do so. Maybe the goal was to make Elisa seem disoriented or disturbed to distract the public from her real killer, an invisible agent using cloaking technologies. But aside from the Invisible Light Agency's supposed location and the timing of Elisa's tweet, there isn't much to support this theory. Hyperstealth biotechnology, which Elisa initially tweeted about, had no known ties to the Invisible Light Agency. It doesn't make sense that anyone from Invisible Light would pursue her. Also, Elisa probably didn't share the article because of any connection to government secrets. If anything, it might have been because of her affinity for the Harry Potter series, which features invisibility cloaks. As far as the edited video footage, some have argued that the police may have amended the content themselves. Perhaps there were other people in the video the authorities wanted to protect, witnesses or innocent bystanders that may have stepped into frame. Overall, it feels improbable that Elisa died as part of a military cover-up. But there may have been a completely different reason why someone wanted Elisa Lamb dead. On February 22, 2013, three days after authorities discovered Elisa's body, the New York Times reported on a second strange occurrence in downtown L.A., a rare outbreak of tuberculosis. Tuberculosis is a bacterial infection that affects the lungs. It's also highly infectious and can spread through coughing or sneezing. By February 22nd, health workers had pinpointed 4,650 cases of tuberculosis amongst the homeless population of Skid Row. This was the largest outbreak of the disease in Los Angeles in a decade. The close timing to Elisa's death made internet investigators extremely suspicious, and soon a new theory emerged. Perhaps Big Pharma, or some secret government organization, strategically infected Elisa with TB. They may have left her body to decompose in the water tank as a biological experiment. Dozens on the World Wide Web suggested that Elisa may have been used to infect thousands in the downtown community. This would up the sales of Big Pharma's tuberculosis test kits. At first, this theory seems like a bit of a stretch. But there is some scientific research that supports the notion that TB can spread through water. In a 2015 article, Dr. Eleanor Click at the Centers for Disease Control's Division of Tuberculosis Elimination wrote that water supplies and sewage contaminated with tuberculosis could be a source of exposure for a population. But the most shocking proof comes from Big Pharma itself. The official name for one of their TB tests? Lamb Elisa. You heard right. Lamb Elisa, a not-so-subtle reverse of Elisa Lamb's first and last names. And the test was created by a team of scientists at the University of British Columbia, where Elisa Lamb was studying for her undergraduate degree. 
If Elisa was targeted and given tuberculosis intentionally, then killed to expose more people to the disease, then the timing of her death actually makes a lot of sense. One of the most efficient ways to cultivate pathogens is to keep them in a place that's not exposed to outside elements or sunlight, like a water tank. Then there's the question of Elisa's strange behavior in the elevator. Aside from coughing, fatigue, chills, and loss of appetite, TB can lead to psychosis if it becomes meningeal tuberculosis and reaches the brain. Maybe Elisa had already succumbed to her symptoms when her roommates complained about her and when elevator cameras captured her that January night. Perhaps she wasn't witnessing an invisible assailant or a ghostly woman. Instead, she was experiencing delusions caused by the disease. The clues Elisa left behind also point to a cover-up. If you remember from earlier, Elisa's blog kept updating with new posts after she went missing. However, Elisa lost her phone at a speakeasy days before. It's possible someone involved in the biochemical attack took it. They could have updated her blog to throw people off their scent. Except there are a few glaring issues with this theory. For starters, on Tumblr, where Elisa hosted her blog, there was a queue option which allowed her to write posts and time the release for a later date. Then there's the Lamb Elisa kit, which was invented sometime before 2009. This was before Elisa became a student at the University of British Columbia. So the title of the test is probably a coincidence, which sounds too far-fetched to believe. But in fact, Lamb is short for Lipoarabin omanin, which is produced by the tuberculosis bacteria. And ALISA is an acronym for enzyme-linked immunosorbent assay, a test used to detect that compound. So while it's definitely a strange coincidence, it's unlikely someone named the test after ALISA. Besides, ALISA couldn't have been patient zero for a targeted TB outbreak. Her autopsy showed no signs of the disease in her system. However, the toxicology report did show something else critical to the investigation. Elisa Lamb took medication for bipolar disorder. Before visiting California, Elisa's friends and family knew she lived with mental health issues. While her blog posts featured colorful, upbeat images of the latest fashion trends, Elisa also shared intimate details about her depression and anxiety. Elisa's family insisted she never expressed suicidal ideation, but her blog posts reveal an ongoing struggle with these kinds of thoughts. We can't rule out the possibility that Elisa's condition may have caused her to jump into that water tank on her own. While this story has spawned dozens of wild conspiracy theories, perhaps the simplest explanation is that Elisa's death was the tragic result of her mental illness. Bipolar disorder has been known to cause dangerous mood swings leading to emotional highs and depressional lows. It can also lead to hallucinations, perhaps explaining her behavior in the elevator. 
While the toxicology report showed traces of Elisa's four medications in her system, two of those drugs, an antipsychotic and a mood stabilizer, were only found in her liver, meaning she had taken them recently, but not on the day of her death. According to author Jake Anderson, who investigated Elisa's case in his book, Gone at Midnight, it's possible Elisa was experiencing a manic or psychotic episode when she got into the elevator. And there may have been other things the coroner missed. While the police ordered a rape kit on Elisa, they never specifically tested for things like Rohypnol, the date rape drug. This was despite the fact that the autopsy showed signs of anal bleeding. However, the coroner suggested this was due to prolapse. In other words, her organs were beginning to exit her body during decomposition. Ultimately, there was no concrete evidence of foul play in the autopsy, but many people suspected that Elisa didn't get to the water tank alone. And there are forms of foul play, such as being forced at gunpoint, that wouldn't show up in an autopsy anyway. In 2019, new evidence surrounding Elisa's death surfaced. Apparently, during the initial search, a police dog traced Elisa's smell to a window that led to a fire escape, the same fire escape that led up to the roof. This indicated that Elisa walked up to the water tank via those steps. But it didn't rule out the possibility that she may have snuck up to the roof with someone else. Those canines were only searching for one smell, Elisa's. In his book, Gone at Midnight, Jake Anderson argues that someone else brought Elisa to the roof. He doesn't offer a specific allegation, but writes that something unexpected happened involving other people, or even more than one person. Anderson based his assertion on unofficial evidence he received during his own investigation. He says the Cecil Hotel had a history of unknowingly employing sexual predators. According to an unnamed witness Anderson spoke with, some of Elisa's belongings were found in a nearby dumpster, yet this evidence was never made public. The author also alleged that Santiago Lopez, the maintenance worker who found Elisa's body, had been paid by an anonymous source to leave the country soon after the investigation. Anderson also mentioned another bit of evidence, supposedly confirmed by a former LAPD detective. The police had additional footage of Elisa entering the hotel with two unknown men before her death. In the video, which has not been publicly released, they appeared to give Elisa a box, although it's not clear what's inside. In addition to this, Anderson discovered that several registered sex offenders had checked into the hotel during Elisa's stay. Perhaps one of these men brought Elisa up to the roof, or maybe another guest attacked her and threw her into the water tank. But without solid evidence, we can't know for certain. There are multiple loose ends to this case, many of which we can never resolve. As for the official version, that Elisa died by accidental drowning, we can't be sure. But it seems unlikely that it was that simple. 
especially when we consider this passage written by Elisa shortly before her death. Fear of death is very silly to me. I am reassured that death is something that all things before me and all things after me will go through. When it comes, I will know what it is. I just hope for a chance to say my goodbyes. I am more scared of going before my time without having lived a full and meaningful life. Was Elisa alluding to her impending death? Even internet conspiracy theorists can't be certain. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back on Tuesday with an all-new episode. For more information on the mysterious death of Elisa Lam, amongst the many sources we used, we found Gone at Midnight, the tragic true story behind the unsolved Internet sensation by Jake Anderson, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Lori Gottlieb, with writing assistance by Ali Wicker, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Don't forget to check out Our Love Story, the newest Spotify original from ParCast. Every Tuesday, discover the many pathways to love, as told by the actual couples who found them. Listen to Our Love Story free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.